Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, Jason Hall joins me to take a look at STEM Inc., which aims to use its Athena software to stand out in the emerging industry of large-scale battery storage technology. Jason, thanks for joining me. Nick, I, th- I thought we were talking college football today. You know, that's that's our other show. That's our other okay. show. Uh, we, right. <laughs> we, need to, we need to figure out a name for it. Still in the developmental phase. True. But hey, we True. could. We could. Everybody's got a we- podcast now. That's the truth. Why not? Heck yeah. Why not? A couple of finance guys talking about college football. Absolutely. Yeah. But Listen, no, seriously, I'm, I'm, uh, Nick, I'm really, I'm really excited to be on here talking about, um, STEM and, and I, I tell you investors that have been trying to figure out a way to invest in batteries really should look at this company. Um, because the bottom line is, and we'll talk about this. Batteries are a terrible business. It's a race to the bottom. STEM has something special. Yeah, well, so so let's talk about that. What does STEM do? I said in the intro, they're uh, trying to stand out in large-scale battery storage technology. How are they doing that? As you say, batteries tend to be a commodity business. Yeah, it's it's funny because, the, the, I mean, the thing that really is unlocking the opportunity for STEM is like that commodity race, the fact that prices continue to fall for storage, that the technology is getting better too, that... Companies are spending billions of dollars to increase manufacturing capacity, so you're getting to to scale. Um, that's making making this far more viable, right? So you think about the the larger renewable energy shift, right? The two biggest drivers for renewable energy going forward are going to be wind and solar. You know, hydro hydroelectric's been around forever, and it's important, but we just need to deploy more wind and we need to deploy more solar. Of course, there's the old saw: the wind doesn't blow all the time, the sun doesn't shine all the time. So what do you do? You store the electricity. Batteries are the key here, right? So battery prices are coming down. Scale is going up. Power users, so whether it's a utility, whether it's a grid operator, whether it's a large power user, like a large manufacturer, a Walmart, a Home Depot, one of these kind of companies that use a ton of power, they have these carbon initiatives, right? They want to reduce their carbon imprint. Um, It's good for business. It's good PR. It's good for the world. Same thing is happening with utilities, right? They, they want to improve their carbon profile. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of this is just being cost-driven because the costs of batteries are falling, but also the costs for solar panels, wind turbines, all of that's coming down. The efficiencies are going up. So competing against um, hydroelect- or excuse me, fossil fuels, you can deploy these wind and, wind and solar assets, produce power more cheaply, and oh, by the way, also get those environmental benefits. And now as battery costs fall down, fall, you can store the energy. So when the sun's not shining, the wind's not blowing, you still have energy that was produced from renewable assets that you can then deploy. Right. So, so there's increasing demand for batteries as a, you know, a supporting industry to renewables. As you mentioned, you need to store the energy that you produce while the sun's out so that you can keep the lights on when the sun goes down. That tends to be when I turn the lights on in my house, you know, in the before times when people commuted to work, um, you know, usually you would have it, you have a bigger uh, demand when, when you come home, which is when um, you need to really deploy that energy that you're producing during the day. So uh, where is STEM playing into this industry? How did it get to where it is today? So the, here's here's kind of the backstory for STEM is 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 it's been around since 2009. 
Um, it's founded with a lot of PE, uh, private equity backing. And it's really focused on the real key to this kingdom and that's software. Um, and for, for STEM, its software application is called Athena, right? And it's this really powerful AI powered software. It's software as a service, right? So lowers the capital cost up front for the customer. They pay as they, as they, as they go, they pay as they use it. Um, and the idea is the software helps maximize those storage assets, right? And it depends on who the user is and what their goal is, what maximization really means, right? So having an AI powered tool to help you optimize what you're getting. So, right. So if you're say a utility, obviously you want to use that storage to fit within your, your total strategy and your power capacity, right? You want to use it to, for peak uh, demand, Nick, you were talking about, you know, back in the old days when everybody would drive home from work and we would get home. And then there was this massive increase on the grid, particularly in the summer when like everybody turned on their air conditioner and fired up the oven to cook dinner and all that stuff. They used to call it the duck curve, right? It's when renewables fell off, production fell off and then demand shot right up, right? So if you're, if you're a utility, being able to maximize to meet peak demand is really important. Um, but also being able to maximize storing energy when it's optimal to store. And some of that storage honestly comes from, uh, is going to come from fossil fuel production too. If they have excess production and it's expensive to ramp up and ramp down power plants, if you can just take that excess production and store it, there's another way they can use it. So the AI can help them. Now, if you're another user who's trying to maximize when you're buying power, right? If you're a corporate customer, you can use Athena to help maximize when you're buying power from the grid um, or using your own renewables to store that power or for power generation, right? So it's about integrating all of those things together. Um, and that's that's kind of where they fit in. And the, the company's done a really good job. They have, I don't know, more than 950 deployments of Athena. That's a large, that's a large number. Um, has a pretty large number of customers. I think they have more than 40 utilities that use their product, half dozen or so grid operators that use it, like 20 million hours. So lots of deployments out there. Um, and so, I mean, so far it seems like, it seems like their business model is working pretty well. Yeah. So, so kind of, as we said off the top, the, the battery business, actually manufacturing batteries, a little bit of a, of a commodity business. Uh, what, um, uh, what STEM is, is doing is using its its software differentiation, Athena as a magnet to draw in, in customers, but they don't really care, aren't particularly uh, sensitive to the types of batteries they use, which is part of the story uh, you told earlier of taking advantage um, of oversupply in the market that could, get, that could potentially uh, uh, be realized in the next couple of years. So can you talk about it, that battery agnostic approach where that plays into the company's uh, business model? Yeah, that's the key, right? So battery agnostic is, is the best way to describe it, right? So this is a company that has deep relationships with lots of different battery suppliers, because at the end of the day, I think the company almost wants to set the stage for customers that batteries are a commodity, right? They're, they're just a fuel tank, right? You, you don't, you, there's not a lot of competitive advantages with a fuel tank, right? It's just the thing you put fuel in. So, so this is something that they really kind of lean on. Uh, but they do, they do want to make money when they sell batteries, right? They, they aim to get, you know, 10 to 30 points of gross margin, right? Depending on the deployment, depending on the, the customer. Um, but again, when you take that and you think about deploying batteries and you stretch that out over the operations that are involved, the operating margins are 
in a best case scenario, we're going to be, you know, low double digit, right? So uh, most likely high single digit in a lot of cases when you factor in all the operating costs. So by setting that stage that these are just kind of commodities and really leading with Athena as the differentiator, and it's really the tool that helps its customers leverage and make the most of all of their assets, right? So it's not just making the most of their batteries, but making the most of renewable energy production assets that they have or making most of their natural gas power production assets or if 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 they're not producing their own power or maybe it's Walmart right and they have rooftop solar all over the place and that's that's it and then they're buying the the rest of their power from the grid helps them optimize so when they are buying power they're buying it at the lowest possible price right um, then they have a um, um, their their um, market participation product which is actually taking the arbitrage opportunity to be able to resell power to maximize the dollars that you earn when you do sell power out of your storage. So um, it's, it's a really powerful um, way that they're, they're doing it. Um, I, if you think about the opportunity, it is, it is enormous. It is absolutely enormous. Um, by 2030 alone, so between 2020 and 2030, battery storage capacity globally is is going to um, increase 25 fold. I mean, that's that's gigantic. Um, but it's also a reminder of how early we still are. We still are in this um, by 2050. So over the next 30 years or so, um, Athena's um, estimate and the estimate of some of the some of the large um, companies that follow this space um, are estimating that 1.2 trillion dollars is going to be spent to deploy integrated storage in between now and, and 2050. I think that the number could be bigger. I really do. Um, as costs continue to fall um, and as more and more parts of the world look to leverage um, this sort of technology. But again, that's that's the target right there, that $1.2 trillion integrated storage target over the next um, over the next 30 years. Yes. So, so when you talk about, you know, maybe there's going to be some some oversupply in batteries. There, that's a condition in this market. This huge tailwind uh, as as capacity grows, uh, you know, 25x by 2030. Also, this market participa participation side, which sounds to me like energy trading. It's out. When I put all this in context, it sounds to me like, you know, you look at oil and gas or historical energy markets. A lot of these things have developed over time. You see a capital cycle where there's points where there's oversupply and undersupply. You have folks in the market who participate in trading um, relationships. Historically, you had this huge swing up as you developed that supply chain. When I look at all these things emerging, I start to think about you know this, this battery storage business. We're really laying the groundwork for a new energy supply chain in a similar way to maybe what we saw in the past with, with oil and gas. Well, it's 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 funny you mentioned that, Nick. It's, it's almost like you're setting this up for me to talk about some of the key players with with the company. So um, STEM went public earlier this year uh, via a SPAC. Um, the, the blank check company that, that led the SPAC and that was the acquirer was Star Peak Energy Transition. Um, just so happens that um, the name might be familiar to people that follow the oil and gas industry. Um, the chairman of Star Peak Energy Transition, uh, his name's Michael Morgan. Morgan might be a familiar name. Uh, William Morgan, who I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure 
they're related, um, is one of the founders of Kinder Morgan, right? So Michael Morgan was part of Kinder Morgan from the very beginning when it was founded in 1997, eventually became its president, um, left the company, I think in 2005, but has been on the board of directors. He's actually the lead director um, at Kinder Morgan, um, has a pretty successful um, <clears throat> investing track record as well. Um, but he led the SPAC uh, as the director um, and he's now the largest shareholder of um, STEM directly and through his um, through you know, interest that he that he controls. So, talking about the energy infrastructure, right? So Kinder Morgan is like, I mean, they're part of the pipes, literally the pipes um, that power the the American energy um, energy grid. So I think it's really important to understand that this is the, the some of the people behind this company. Uh, we don't have any founders involved, right? We don't have STEM founders that are involved here. Um, but we have people that understand how energy works. And I think that's really important. Um, John Carrington, um, STEM CEO. Um, he's been the CEO since 2011. STEM was founded in 2009. Uh, John Carrington has been the CEO since, um, 2011. So he's been around for a decade. So very, very central to the, the, the company's growth and it's, it's development, um, since basically since its formative years. So I think that's important. Um, he has a, about a 3% stake. Um, now it's worth noting that most of that stake is a product of equity incentives that he's earned, um, as CEO and not him putting his own money, um, on the barrel head, so to speak. Um, but nonetheless, that's a pretty, that's a pretty sizable stake, um, that helps align, you know, his, his long-term interests as the CEO. And then again, you have the chairman of the board and other board members who come from, uh, the private equity groups that are large backers, um, that means that that helps align that incentive uh, with with uh, investors as well. So I think that's important. Yeah, I mean one of the one of the key uh, rule breaker traits is good management and smart backing, right? If you look at uh, folks who have had some success, the energy 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 industry uh, in the past certainly is a point uh, in their favor. One of the other rule breaker traits is a sustainable competitive advantage. And, you know, to have a sustainable competitive advantage, you need to be able to hold back competitors. One of the questions David Gardner likes to ask there is, you know, is there a Pepsi to this company's Coke? So when you look at, at STEM Inc. and the competitive landscape, who, who are those potential competitors? So uh, there, there's a lot of companies that are involved in this, right? So first, I think any, any company that's manufacturing batteries for utility scale um, deployments has some sort of software. They're all going to, right? It's, it's you, you just have to do it. Um, right now, I think probably the closest thing um, is is Tesla, right? And Tesla has, um, has, a, has a, a, a pretty robust, um, pretty robust software package. I, I just completely drew a blank here. Sorry about that. Um, they have a software package called Autonomous Control that has lots of different modules, different chunks, depending on what that particular user is going to deploy. Um, it's been deployed in over, over 50 companies, uses AI for different things. Like they have, um, one, of the, one of their offerings is, what do they call it? Auto bidder is their, kind of their market participation product. Um, but it, it's also built for all of the various and sundry different ways that people are going to deploy these assets in large scale, large scale ways. But here's the key, right? Tesla does a ton of stuff and they don't really break this out. So we, in terms of the revenues that it generates and the margins, that kind of thing, 
it's not really clear how they're positioning it and, and what it means for Tesla on the bottom line. But what we do know, um, at least based on the data that, that we're getting from, from STEM, STEM from 2014 through 2020, so kind of in the key part of their like commercialization, um, had more deployments than anybody, including Tesla, right? Tesla was number two. Um, and my assumption is that that probably excludes Tesla's distributed solar. So like their uh, residential storage, it probably d excludes that um, distributed storage and is just really focused on like the utility scale kind of storage. Um, but that says a lot, right? Um, that, that really what it says the most is a lot of customers view the batteries as a commodity and the differentiator is is the software because that again that's the key athena is the key here this is the thing that's going to drive its uptake this is the thing that's going to make it sticky and this is that recurring revenue again they're targeting 80 percent gross margins that's the kind of margins a company like microsoft gets right so that's their goal with athena is to get 80 percent gross margins um as they as they scale it up so I mean, they're on to something, you know, um, they, they've, they went public to raise the capital to accelerate growth. Um, and they're really doing that right now. They're burning a lot of capital to do it. Um, but there's some pretty big players that they're competing against. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you look at the, those installation numbers or deployment numbers uh, that you mentioned, that, that signals uh, that STEM may be a partner of choice um, in, in the industry. And that's certainly uh, what you need for the, for the company to continue to maintain its growth. You mentioned gross margins, one potential uh, thing to be on the watch for uh, with the business. You know, if you're a shareholder or a potential shareholder and you want to keep this keep score on this business quarter to quarter, see if it's delivering on uh, on its potential uh, in its markets. What are the things that you would be tracking? So it starts with revenue, right? Um, and this, this might seem obvious, but at the end of the day, it's about deploying those batteries and then deploying um, further further iterations of Athena, right? Um, the battery is going to be the big hit. You're going to deploy those batteries. You're going to recognize a big chunk of revenue all at one time. And then you're going to recognize Athena revenue each financial period as you provide the service, right? So the hardware revenue over time is probably going to be relatively lumpy. So if we look back like at the utility scale deployments of wind and solar, right, as a proxy for what we can probably expect to happen with storage is from period to period, from year to year, it can be very cyclical, right? Um, depending on lots of different factors, economic conditions, uh, regulatory environment, right? All of those things can have an impact on how much money is getting spent to deploy it. So, so that part of its business over time may start to get a little bit lumpy. But what we should see with its services revenue, which is really where Athena lives, is that number should realistically, if it's not growing sequentially from quarter to quarter, I don't want to say that's a problem, but that's something I would be really watching closely because it gets that one-time hit when it sells the batteries. And then literally every quarter from there for the next 10, 20, 30 years, it should continue to collect revenues for Athena, right? So that's the key. So I'm kind of looking at those. If you look in the, if you look in its filings, you'll see um, under its operating statement, you'll see hardware revenue, you'll see software revenue. And then I'm looking at cost of sale, right? So you're looking at um, how much you want to see that revenue for software continue to grow, but the cost of revenue 
should it should grow at a much much slower rate as it scales up because again that's where the gross margins are going to come from that's what pays the bills that's what's going to get this business to be cash flow positive that's the next thing i'm looking at closely is looking at its cash flow statements right now it's it's cash flows are going negative from year over year it just went public it raised a bunch of capital specifically to throw that capital at the business to try to scale up and aggressively grow but over time, over the next couple of years, you want to see the cash burn shrink, right? As those recurring revenues continue to get larger and larger and it gets to scale and it becomes a profitable business on a cash flow basis. I'm not looking at gap earnings right now. I'm not looking at that, at that metric because there's so many financial machinations that are going to affect it. It's all about cash flows and revenue. Now, then beyond that, numbers I'm looking at that can kind of help telegraph what's going on. So you think about it's pipeline, right? So pipeline is like the big number of potential deals that they've identified that they're playing in that they're trying to win. So that's the big number. You want to see that growing and it is growing very fast. It's over a couple billion dollars now, right? I mean, it's more than doubled in a year. And then you have um, contracted backlog, right? So these are the deals they've won, right? The inks, inks on the contract and they're just waiting to deploy them. Right. Every quarter when they report, they're going to tell you bookings. That's deals they've signed in that quarter. That's new business that they've won. Right. So that's kind of your cadence of, of things that you're looking at. Um, so, again, just to kind of hit that again. So looking at revenue growth, looking at um, where those revenues are coming from, service revenue minus uh, cost of revenue to try and figure out if the margins are moving in the direction you want looking at the cash flows from operations and then starting looking at those backlogs and their 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 contracted uh, business to see where things are going. Love that. Love that. I mean, this is really a land and expand uh, business model or maybe even razor and blade yeah. if you think about it, you know, adding a servicing business oh, very much so. on top of uh, on top of a, a, a hardware business and and so uh, seeing their their how they uh, how they make uh, progress there fundamental to the thesis. When you look at uh, you know, some businesses there's optionality for you know, things we don't even expect happening, uh, you know, expect today materializing in the future. When you think about optionality, uh, places where STEM could surprise us, does anything come to mind for you there? Honestly, it really doesn't at this, at this, at this point. I think particularly over the next five years, this company needs to be laser focused, right? Again, this market is growing at an enormous rate. It's still, I mean, we're, we're just now scratching the surface uh, for distributed uh, storage, and the company needs to be laser focused on what it's doing, right? There's a clear mission. There's a clear case, use case for what they do. And they're massive tailwinds. They're absolutely massive tailwinds. And they are, if, if they're smart, they're going to stay focused on this and they're not going to try to figure out other things. The bottom line is they're burning cash. <laughs> if, if once this business gets to scale and becomes cash flow positive, if then they, there are other opportunities uh, where they can leverage their AI, as they're, for example, they're going to build up a tremendous amount of data right? Um, over the next 10 to 20 years, that data could be valuable in other, other ways. Right. Um, but at this point, I think it, they need to be a pure play. They need to focus on, on, on what they've built, um, and, and get to a point where they can make money with that. Okay. So, so let's put all this together. When you look at, at STEM Inc, the stock today, we've talked about the opportunity in the market where they can land and expand, where they can grow. What do you make of the opportunity today? Valuation, uh, Certainly aggressive. I think thirty times trailing sales somewhere in that uh, in that neighborhood. How do you compare valuation in the market against uh, the opportunity for the business? 
So I think it's one of those cases our, our, our good friend and colleague, Brian Feroldi talks about, you know, um, if you're ever going to pay, you know, a stupid expensive valuation, you want to do it in a very high growth company with a massive market opportunity when it's still small, right? This is a three and a half billion dollar company at this point, and it is growing at an enormous rate, right? So you think about that sales multiple reported, just reported earnings last week uh, on the 9th, right? So it's reported earnings exactly a week ago today as we're recording this. Uh, recorded revenues just under $40 million. A year ago, it was 9 million, right? So that's 300% increase in revenue. In the second quarter, so sequentially, revenues went from 19 million in the second quarter to 39 million in the third quarter. Now, part of that's timing because of those big, big deals. But this is the time to pay to pay a premium. Again, $3.5 billion market cap. There's probably going to be fur further dilution, more shares that are going to be issued to help raise capital over time. It's just almost inv inevitable at this point. But remember that big number between now and 2050? $1.2 trillion, right? This is an enormous market. It's a growing market and it's highly competitive. I think paying $3.5 billion for the company, it's only an overpay. If, if they screw it up, right? It's an overpay if they don't execute. That's what it boils down to. You're buying this company based on their proprietary technology, their ability to leverage it, execute, and continue to gain deployments and gain traction with Athena, right? If they do that, this stock is going to look crazy cheap in 10 years. If they don't execute, it doesn't matter what you paid for it. Yeah, for me, this is a, a stock that, that fits very neatly in the, the rule breaker basket. Remember, the last rule breaker trade is grossly overvalued according to traditional financial media, traditional financial metrics. So if you believe it's top dog and you know, the other five trades, top dog and first mover in important emerging industry, uh, you believe it has sustainable competitive advantage driven by Athena. Past price appreciation is more than double since it's come out, even after some of the SPACs have come back to earth. You mentioned, you know, good management and smart backing, the, the, the Kinder Morgan Connection CEO that's been in the job for 10 years, strong consumer appeal. We mentioned how they've, there's been this really big pickup in customers in the past year. If you think it checks off those other five, uh, then you know what uh, the rule breaker approach would say is don't let that high valuation keep you from buying the stock. Uh, and that's really the story uh, you have to tell to buy the stock today, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Again, this is, this is all of those things. And to me, this is, I mean, it's, 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 I would say it's almost a perfect rule breaker stock with the exception that I would want to see a founder, right? And, and I mean, that's like the one, and this one is a little bit squishy with that because I think in a lot of ways, their CEO is about as close to a founder as you're going to get because he's been there basically since the beginning and has built this business. Um, there's a lot to like. There really is a lot to like. You just got to be able to stomach the risk and, 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 and let them execute. Yeah. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Always love having you on. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And thanks to, I think we got, this was a request, right? Didn't we have a listener ask us about this one? Yeah. Sam uh, emailed us at industryfocus at fool.com asking for us to talk about STEM Inc. And uh, I hope, uh, hope we did a good job for you, Sam. If folks have any other uh, uh, companies they'd like us to discuss, don't hesitate to send us an email and we'll do our best to get to it. Absolutely. Um, one more thing, Nick. Go dogs. Roll tide. There you go. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.